Today we uh, will cover the sixth, sixth stage, sixth stage. Uh, there's a mistake on your paper. It says stage seven. This is because Kuladasa has a different way to organize the material. And we have been following how it's done in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. So we are in the sixth stage. And with that, we enter very interesting territory, the dark territory. And it's uh, a place where some people get stuck or, or they give up. So the most important in this stage is to keep on practicing and find people, find mentors, other practitioners who know this territory, who encourage you to do so. Because other people will say, no, stop. It's dangerous. We don't want this here. So I'm kind of excited to share this with you, these teachings, because it's very precious to, to have a map and to have some frame so that when these things happen, which I will go through, that you don't feel something is going wrong, I, you know, I, have, to, I have to leave, I have to stop my practice. I, I, I started to meditate to get some peace, and now this? <laughs> <laughs> So tonight uh, I want to cover what the Christian mystic uh, John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. And there's other things to say about this stage, but uh, I will uh, cover them uh, next time, because this is, I think, quite important to go a bit deeper into the experiences which might emerge when our meditation becomes more stable. But also this kind of experiences of the dark night of the soul can break in, into our life um, independent from the stability of our meditation. So it is helpful to have a bit of a different maps, map to this kind of experience than the psychiatric map. I don't want to kind of let go of that completely, but it can be very empowering, self-empowering, uh, to have a different perspective, a different frame of what is happening for you on your journey. And this is something like the average mindfulness teacher will be scared of and will have no idea of. So if you want to get serious in meditation, you really need to get guidance from people who have 30, 40 years of practice under their belt, not someone who is, has done a bit of mindfulness training and is calling himself or herself now mindfulness teacher. It's okay to use, to learn some techniques from them, but meditation is, is really um, something very profound 
it's like more profound than mastering the piano and you're not going to learn uh, piano playing on a master level from someone who has <coughs> practiced five to ten years of <coughs> piano play playing and we have plenty of practitioners in the different traditions who have been practicing for 30, 40, 50 years now. So I'm looking forward to scare you a bit <laughs> with this uh, dark territory and to, um, yeah, to encourage you if experiences like this arise to not to give up. That's the worst thing you can do. So let's uh, start with the uh, entry protocol of slowing down and creating some space and with the mental bonding process. So take a few minutes to just be with yourself, notice what you bring with you, where you are. Meeting yourself. And as always, as always nothing is excluded. Allow this shift to happen from the doing to the being, from being in the head to also being in the body, being the body. supports you can slide with the in-breath into the body with your awareness with your attention even down into your feet notice your posture Branding your own energy as it is.
allowing thoughts to become less important. your belly, solar plexus, and maybe following the out-breath you can open up a bit, soften. Just a tiny little bit. As if you are opening your fist in that way. You might be able to relax a bit. by letting things be as they are. And when you notice that you emphasize the stream of thinking a lot, try to be curious about your hands, your belly, your breath. Relax the sense of a central position in the head. Turning, resting. Just noticing what is.
maybe you notice some restlessness or some tiredness. And here we explore what happens if you let that be okay. If you embrace with the in-breath. Then, if it makes sense for you, we imagine and feel the presence of our mentor, benefactors, in front of us, maybe just in the symbol of the Buddha, maybe surrounded by the Dalai Lama, the Karmapa, other mentors. And allow yourself to feel their warmth, their kindness, their loving gaze, bathing your whole body. As if you're sitting in the sun. Recall how it is to be in their presence. See if you can have a similar kind of experience right now, as if they are here. your mind wanders off, you return to the sense of aliveness in your body and the radiance of compassion and wisdom, of warm-heartedness.
if you notice some struggle within you, something bleeding into this moment from your life, just allow that to be in the radiance of love. And then your mentor dissolves into that light. That light enters your body at the heart level. And you become aware of the source of light, the center of your being, the Buddha inside. Your heart opens like a flower. And the light of compassion, the light of wisdom is filling your whole body. Radiating into all directions through the pores of your body. As if you are a Buddha. Awakened. Forget yourself, that little me, feel the Buddha inside, the Dalai Lama inside. could even visualize a Buddha inside the heart level or a diamond.
then I invite you to align with the bodhicitta, the intention to wake up and grow up for the benefit of all. To use this life, this precious human life you have to bring forth this potential of the Buddha inside, to shine, to serve. As uh, Shantideva said, as long as space remains, as long as being re beings remain, as long as there is suffering, as long there is suffering, as long I will remain in order to serve. I vow to take that as my burden. And in order to bring forth this potential we all have, we need to have stable attention. And that's why we are here tonight. Not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. With uh, stage six, our mind becomes very powerful. This is also called unifying the mind. What that means is, if you remember in the beginning, I was talking about this image of balancing a tray of glasses through a room with cats. And these cats were presenting um, processes, subconscious processes, which were competing for your attention. So by sta state six, they actually, these processes, they actually start to support you. So that's this idea of unifying the mind. So instead of being potential threats, the cats start to help you. Like they, they make little groups to turn the, to, to, to push the furniture out of the out of your way, and they walk on your side and behind you, 
and they start to protect you. So they, they joined, they joined this process. And as we have understood by now, this is not something we can uh, <clears throat> make happen through control. So it's a, it's a very gentle uh, process of growth and healing. But uh, with stage six, you enter a place where there's less internal conflict, you know, less, you know, less struggle with the inner judges and and stuff like that. So there's more conscious energy available to you to bring your uh, to bring your attention to that which matters to you. And that sounds wonderful, and it is. Uh, but there's uh, side effects. So what I want to do tonight, I want to uh, present you with some of the side effects, with some of the experiences. And then I also want to talk about uh, what to do about it, how to move through this territory, how to move through the darkness of the soul. So this is, uh, this is experiences which are not only described by Buddhist mystics, but also by the mystics of the other tradition. So it seems to be a kind of common, common theme, common, common, common experience. And when I will go through the symptoms, you will recognize experience you have had, and also you will recognize some of the experience you have observed in other people. One of the challenge in this in the sixth stage is that you got there to a certain kind of effort. Through a certain, so through a mastery of certain skills. Yeah, so particular stabilizing your attention, but also the mastery of introspective awareness. So you trained yourself to stay engaged with the object, that which matters to you, and you trained yourself, or you trained introspective awareness to be alert all the time. And by states, stage six, these processes, they became automatic. So it's a bit like, uh, you know, if you learn to drive, uh, drive the bicycle, in the beginning it's effort and you need to learn certain skills. And this is what we have done so far. But then there is this point where you have to let go of the techniques which brought you there because otherwise you you will continue to stumble on the bike so you have to kind of step back and trust these automatic processes to take over and and do and do the work effortless so towards the end of stage 6 you need to deeply explore what it means to let go and this is very difficult for us anyway, because we are so productivity mad and you know doing things and fixing things and trying to get somewhere. 
but also uh, you have you have learned skills in these different stages which brought you to this to this stage which you now you need to let let go so and and that's that's a challenge so when i say the most important thing in the experience of the dark night of the soul is to keep on practicing what i don't mean is to keep on pushing so it's a kind of it's a it has to be a shift in your practice a different way of practicing so the the topic of effortlessness becomes really really important in in stage 6 and this is the the challenge either people give up because this is not what they bargained for and nobody warned them you know people thought meditation is a kind of happiness trip like feeling better and better uh so and then if that is not happening then people back up or the other is some people then keep on you know trying to break through uh, trying to push through this a- and both is uh, contra it's uh, is both uh, is not a healthy way to uh, to work with this so next time uh, we will talk a bit more on 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 this uh, you know the topic of letting go of effortlessness in one's meditation practice so the a simple way to to say what happens um with the darkness dark night of the soul is you can't help yourself at that point because your mind is so strong to start to have insights into reality so vipassana practice insight meditation practice starts to happen because your mind is so powerful until this stage you kind of needed to make the meditation objects more stable than it is because you needed to have a meditation object so you kind of had to exaggerate the status of the meditation objects a little bit but that's that that uh, that's not working anymore because you start to see how things really are yeah that sounds good yeah yeah that's isn't that what we want the buddha said we suffer because we don't see things as they are and now this is happening but it is it can be and it's very likely terrifying so what do you have insights into with insight meditation practice is the three characteristics and this is something you really need to get into your mind what are the three characteristics how to look at your experience through the view of the three characteristics anicca dukkha anatta things are changing they don't sat- they don't satisfy you they are not you these are the three characteristics and insights into these three characteristics 
they just start to happen in this stage. You're too close. Uh, no, you, your mind is so powerful at this time because of the unification that you can't help yourself to see things more as they are rather than how you think they are. So you, you start to look through your own projections. Like the, 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 the layer of projections, making things stable, making things real, here on this side, the eye and the object. That starts to relax, to dissolve. So, <coughs> what happens if you have insight into the, the three characteristics is <coughs> the sense of the center position starts to dissolve. Everything you believe, what your reality is, starts to deconstruct, starts to collapse. It's like... Uh, it's like dying. It's a bit like dying. Everything you believe you are is being, is being uh, looked through. And this leads to an identity crisis. Okay, okay, if I'm not this me with this history and these problems and here in the sixth stage you see it directly. So when we talk about it, it sounds quite nice you know, to forget yourself and to relax this the, the mini-me and to transcend the ego, however people do this. It's so nice to talk about it and to wish for it, but to actually experience it is a completely different thing. The same uh, happens with the so-called outside reality. Yeah? So, in a confused state of mind, we actually think that there's a solid real world out there which actually even has the characteristics we, po we project onto them. So now this, is, this, starts to, this starts to fall apart. You start to wonder, who am I? Where am I? What, what is this? So that's... That's a, that's like one thing. This it's it's a, like a self-identity crisis. Now, all the things which you might have thought life is about, like having children, uh, having a career, having a nice flat in Malmo, you know, all these things which having my pension, having my health insurance, having money in my pocket. Uh, now, all the things where we feel a certain security, a certain, it sucks most of the time, but at least it's something. We know where we are in time and space. And we have our pension and our health insurance. So, if that is all looked through as a, as a hallucination, as a projection, that's scary. 
So who am I then? What's what, what I'm? What is it? What I'm standing on? It's uh, no. Some time ago, I, I attended this men's group in Germany, and uh, it was a very intensive. It was a year group. It was a very intensive experience, and they did a lot of kind of powerful meditation practices, which I wouldn't teach like that, but we did it anyway. And and there was one man who had this experience that his the central posi- position dropped away and for a few hours he didn't remember where he was and who he was. And of course that's and those of you who have played with psychedelics, you know this kind of experience also when the ground of the defense mechanism and the ground of the solid reality just starts to drop. And for this man, he was so lucky that he was in a safe environment with uh, with therapists who could handle this and who didn't panic. So he could just go through it. And then, of course, it towards the evening it starts it started to resemble again and this is quite common it happens to people who who not even have a frame of a spiritual practice you know there's some books from who people of people who 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 wrote about this kind of experience so the the identity crisis there might be um, a loss of meaning, a loss of meaning in life, yeah, because you no, know, an insight in dukkha, you know, dukkha, suffering, means that you start to see, you see that nothing what you're doing is going to make you happy. And again, this sounds so nice when we talk about it. Yeah, we need to find the happiness inside and nothing is really, nothing is going to make you really happy. But if you actually see it directly, that's a different thing. Because what you, what you then see directly is that 99% of your life is completely wasted with stuff which is not going to make you happy, genuinely happy. That's a midlife crisis. What? <laughs> this is a very big claim. Yeah, that's experience. I'm saying what is I'm saying that from my own experience and from the experience of many, many uh, uh, practitioners, and it makes sense if you think about it, because uh, like the cafe lattes and the nice clothes and the car and all that is I'm not saying there's temporary happiness in them, temporary pleasure. But it does not take a lot of reflection to realize it's not reliable, it's passing, it's not, it's not really, it's not quenching the thirst, it's, it's, it's not quenching tana, yeah? tana, the thirst we have. So we, we, we run from one cafe latte to the next, but no cafe latte will ever do it. Yeah? So we have one cafe latte and then 
what's next, what's next? And, and when you see that, there can be a kind of, wow, this, it doesn't make sense, the whole thing. Why should I go out of bed? It's like, the whole thing does not make sense. Why should I, what, why should I <coughs> run after these things? If they are, in the end, they are meaningless. They are me, like, they are like a mirage. I, I run towards the mirage thinking there's water and I find, no, it's just sand. Yeah. And, of course, a reflection of that, that's very basic Buddhist teaching. Yeah? So that's like the development of renunciation and so on. But when you actually see these things directly, not as a conceptual idea, then, wow, what now? What now? If running after cafe latte is not doing it, what else? What else to do with my life? So it, uh, this can lead to um, a sadness, grief, a sense that you have wasted your life. And if you, if you, uh, no, if you check in yourself, then you will, you, you will notice these kind of experiences. No disappointment. Again, it didn't work out. Now I moved to Stockholm, and it also sucks. How, how long should I run around finding for the perfect place to live, for, for the perfect job? It's a hoax. They told us, if we're doing it right, kindergarten, school, getting a relationship, they told us that then in the end there will be we will be there and we will be fulfilled and we will be happy and successful. And then we get there and we see it's just sand. But who said this that it is sand? Because, I mean, I am happy when I'm... I don't want to discuss this. This is such a fundamental Buddhist teaching. Uh, and what I, what, what I just asked ask you to do is to look into your experience, to check it up. To just check it up. So that's, that's all. And when I talk like this, I talk from my own experience, because I have been, and I'm still, and I'm still, I mean, I'm still fooled by running around and hoping it will be better in, I don't know, in Spain. <laughs> and then I get there and it's too hot and, you know, and the electricity is not working. And, and, and then, yeah, and then, yes, and then I say, oh, yeah, how could I not remember? How could I not remember? What, so there is the, the, this kind of meaninglessness, so, so strong that people might have uh, thoughts of killing themselves. Yeah. 
a sense of disgust might arise. Like really fed up, disgust. Like not being able to enjoy because you see it's like, it's okay, yeah. Is this what my life is about? Having nine, one, a nice latte after another? One nice Netflix movie after another? <coughs> the other thing what happens here, or what can happen is, because the, the sense of the center position of the separate solid I starts to dissolve, that unconscious material which has been suppressed so far by the I yeah, starts to emerge. So it's very common that in this stage traumata start to reverse, uh, resurface, nightmares, um, powerful uh, energetic experiences are very common. You know, what sometimes is called kundalini awakenings, uh, uncontrolled movements, not being able to sleep, a piercing sense of pain in your heart. Um, like energetic experiences, which are sometimes pleasant, sometimes scary, sometimes very unpleasant. What also can happen, and this can be again scary and wonderful, is visions. So, like the Christi Christian mystics, you know, when they talk about the darkness, dark, dark night of the soul, like John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, they have all these visions you know, of Jesus and the saints, and, and some of them are wonderful and some of them are horrifying. So imagine you have a kind of you have you have kind of you have this kind of experiences, and there's not there's you don't have a frame you don't have a map to give meaning to these experiences. You don't have people who tell you, yeah, that's that's happening. This is this is kind of normal. It's part of 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 this journey. And 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 people who don't tell you that you're crazy but encourage you to keep on practicing and who give you the, uh, the support to go through experiences like that, to give space to these kind of experiences. I want to uh, read some of the descriptions of Ellen um, uh, Wallace. So this is just a list yeah, of different experiences. The impression that all your thoughts are wrecking havoc in your body and mind, like boulders rolling down a steep mountain, crushing and destroying everything in their path. A sharp pain in your heart as a result of all your thoughts, as if you have been pierced with the tip of a sword. So this is very common. This kind of pain in the heart, as if you have a knife. Yeah? 
here. Intor intolerable pain throughout your body from the tips of the hair on your head down to the tips of your toenails. The sense that even food or drink are harmful due to your being afflicted by a variety of, variety of physical disorders. So what, what can happen is a kind of paranoia. So when your sense, when, when the sense of, um, of the solid I, the one you cling to, the, the one you believe in, who you are, this is who I am, when that starts to dissolve and also the sense of a solid real world out there, you know, this kind of, there's more space for, for, uh, for um, misinterpretation. Paranoia. For example, he says, an inexplicable sense of paranoia about meeting other people, visiting their homes or being in public places. Does it make sense? If you, you know, if you lose a kind of the grip of what you believe is true so far, I'm this, this person here, and I have, as I said, I have my health insurance, and, my, and I know who I am, and, and this, I'm kind of, I made it a little in my life. So if that starts to slip out of your hands, of course, then it's easy to come up with interpretations and projections, exaggerating projections towards the things. So you are kind of a bit more like in a dream where there's more space to see, uh, to feel that people are after you. Compulsive hope in medical treatments, divination and astrology Because you, you, you kind of you, you feel uh, this disoriented. It's like a, you know, things start to become. What is it there to hold on to? Okay, astrology. A system to explain my experience. Yeah. Insomnia at night. Yeah, so that's the uh, not being able to sleep. Grief and disorientation when you wake up. Uh, that is also because, as I said, stuff comes up. So unexpressed grief of your life expresses itself in your dreams. And then you wake up with that. Disorientation. Yeah, when you wake up. The emergence one after another of all kinds of afflictive thoughts and being impelled to pursue them as painful as they may be. So it's a kind of compulsive, compulsive behavior. Even if you, even if you notice, uh, even if you recognize it as 
as a delusional, but, but you can't help yourself. Are you still on the... <laughs> the conviction that there is some special meaning in every external sound that you hear and form that you see and thinking, that must be a sign or omen for me compulsively speculating about the chirping of birds and everything else you, you see and feel. This is what people do when they are in retreat. The sensation of external sounds and voices of humans, dogs, birds, and so on, all piercing your heart like thorns. So, I don't know if you know Alan Wallace. Have you heard about him? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he is like the meditation guy. Like he wrote 40 books. He's, I mean, he's all over the planet, everywhere. I mean, he's one of the most known teachers in, in the Buddhist world. And he, he is actually, I mean, he's he also a scientist. He has a scientific background. But he is, he is actually doing this. I mean, he is, he is meditating. And uh, so that's, that's I'm, I'm saying that to kind of uh, uh, say, this is not like some bullshit we can just, you know, say. Yeah, this is... Um, Who is that? Alan Wallace. Yeah. yeah. So th the book... Uh, I, he wrote a lot about shamatha, but the book I'm using is called The Attention Revolution, yeah? where this is also, this is the list is in, in that book. So, on Attention Revolution. Unbearable anger due to the paranoia of thinking that everyone else is gossiping about you and putting you down. And you, you should hang around. You, sh you should hang around uh, in serious meditation centers where people do solitary retreat. And then you will either experience it yourself, or you will uh, notice your neighbors going through this kind of stuff. I have seen all of it in myself and in others. So this is not uh, this is not um, you know uncommon. Negative reactions when you hear and see others joking around and laughing, thinking that they are making fun of you. Uh, it goes on and on. <laughs> you can you can read it yourself. Yeah. Uncontrollable fear. I have fear is a big thing. I talked about that before, but but fear is a big thing, yeah. and of course that's uh, that's then the point where people give up, because fear is to commit to your fear is one of the most difficult things. Thing, because that's like fear. No, run. Fear, anger, obsessive attachment, 
you know, in retreat, you can't imagine <laughs> the attacks of obsessive, obsessive attachment. It's like... So this is, of course, now a list of the um, of the challenging. So we're talking about the dark night, dark, dark, dark night of the soul. So, so there could be also a list of, you know, wonderful things, the the things we want to have. You know, the thing like you know, being surrounded by angels and, you know, having explosion of love in your heart and. Uh, Kundalini arising and the process of healing and settling and uh, deep peace. So this is also uh, this is also happening, and it can alternate quite quickly. So it, it's 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 common in 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 serious meditation retreats like that. It is like hell heaven, hell heaven, hell heaven. Okay. Boredom is another thing, uh, because since our mind is, is is stable and we have attained a certain stability in our practice, um, even peace at at one point becomes really boring. It becomes boring. A kind of quiet mind, you know, not much happening. It it becomes boring. Maybe you know that sometimes in your life when things are quite going quite well, particularly in your relationship, that either you or your partner needs to create drama because it's too boring. I mean, just good, but you know, <laughs> it's like okay, again good. Oh, another day of good. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, one week. Oh, good. Yeah, so good. How's your meditation? Yeah, good. <laughs> it becomes boring. Yeah. So that's that could be also one reason for our mind to come up with, you know, with to create some drama so that something is happening. I think I mentioned it, but I want to say it again. Bizarre sensations and involuntary body movements. So sometimes when, when I lead retreats and people have this kind of experience, it's quite disturbing. That's another problem. Yeah. So sometimes you wouldn't have the space in a retreat to go through an experience like this because the teacher or the group can't cope with it. It, it can be sometimes quite dramatic, you know? and, and they can't do anything about it. It's just happening. From complex meditation, uh, uh, yoga movements to you know, all kinds of uh, sounds. Uh, and then doubt. Yeah? So the doubt. And this is not, I mean, doubt. You know, there's kind of two, two good, two two different kinds of doubt, like the good one, you know, like being critical, like you know, not buying just everything, being critical. 
But then there is this doubt which is really undermining and which is uh, so you lose you lose the trust into the practice. You lose the trust into the teacher. You lo- you lose the trust into the lineage, because this is not what you ba- bargained for. I work with a lot of people who go through this. Not a lot. I mean, not like hundreds. Yeah, but 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 because. That's that's you not know, the place uh, people get to through serious meditation practice, and then of course they they if they are wise they look for some support, some guidance. And we are lucky that there is support like this, or there is a the emergency spiritual emergency network of psychologists and therapists who work with this kind of stuff. There's the Kundalini network uh, where you can join and you can, there's forums where you can talk with people and, and, and they can share and, and uh, they share. And there's books being written in the last few years about how to handle and stabilize the Kundalini awakening. So there is material. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because a lot of this is uh, also like symptoms for real, uh, like schizophrenia, or uh, how can you know when it's not a, sick, uh, a sickness? Or this, is a, this is a very difficult question, very complex. Uh, but I assume that most of the people who would be diagnosed with I mean, you could be diagnosed with depression, you could be diagnosed with bipolar, you could be diagnosed with schizophrenia, with paranoia. Yeah? So if you would go to a psychiatrist with this kind of symptoms, that's that's what they would do. Because it's both ways, you can misunderstand it. No, so that's, so I, I assume that many people would actually benefit from including at least including the spiritual view on it. I'm not saying that they should also not benefit from medication or something like that. That's maybe sometimes the most, uh, well, that's what is available. Yeah? But, but I, I imagine that if this would be more a common, a common knowledge and there would be more experience with this, that many people would benefit from it. If someone with these problems comes to us, where it becomes too overwhelming, and comes to a psychiatric clinic, and they tell about this, then they get drugs, probably, to to reduce the experience. That's a problem. And then one will back that's yes progress. but it's it's very this is very individual and it's very complex this question i can't i mean this is something to really explore deeply and 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 we will make mistakes in this so because there's not enough research and there's not a i mean there's a bit more uh 
support and network to look at this kind of experience from a spiritual point of view, but certainly not enough. And this is exactly the problem. So the problem, the challenge here is that we get stuck in this. And we can get stuck in, the, in, in, in this kind of experience by suppressing them through medication or by uh, trying to run away from them and stopping our practice or by trying to force our way through it. Because, because as I said, with this kind of experience, it's time to let go of effort and allow the energy to, to move through. Because we don't have this in our culture. The, the doctors don't have this no. to, to see how oh, this is a person on a spiritual the, part or this is real sickness. The, yeah, but the, then the even to are. say the real sickness and uh, yeah, that even that is a bit... Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult to distinguish. Can it also be like that, that you have, when you meditate a lot, you become more and more sensitive, which could be mm -hmm. then eruption of uh, mental illness, because it comes when people um, yeah. deliver but, children but, or mm -hmm. are in weak positions in life, yes. then they can get into psychosis. Uh, yeah. which is a sickness sort of, but it yeah, comes but the, out of... But you, you have to be aware when you call this experience mental sickness, mm. that is a concept you have. Mm. You, you are now, and it makes sense in our culture, mm. yeah, yeah, I have an idea what mental sickness is, and it really exists. Mm. And certainly when someone hears voices, that's a mental sickness. Mm. But... Is it? Is, did Maria have a mental sickness when the angel was talking to her and telling her that she will, she will give birth to the, yeah, or, you know, the, the mother of, uh, of the Buddha? Yeah. So I, I hear you, and it makes sense in a certain way. But I never would use a word like mental sickness or psychosis or depression as boom. We know what it is. And yeah. so but if we change it around saying that the people feel sick. Yes. They weren't given a diagnosis, but they really feel crazy. You know, I yes, have to go and but but in my head because yeah, I feel yes. really crazy. Yes, but what? Uh, so yes, all these experiences they feel horrible. Mm -hmm. People feel sick. People feel that there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. The 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 question here is how do we? What kind of interpret interpretation do we have? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have someone who goes through an experience like this. And you tell this person, you know, this, is, uh, this is part of your spiritual path. Don't worry. Give space to it. It has its meaning. Explore it. Try to find a safe environment where you can go through these experiences. It's unrealistic in our culture. There's a few places like that. 
where you can go through a psychotic break, for example, as a spiritual experience. I know this is... I'm walking on in a minefield right now. I have... I never... I can't put this out there. People will chop my head off. I, I wonder if this dark night consists of just a bit of thankfulness or self-compassion. Because all of all the uh, things you just read, yeah. I felt that I, I missed, I was just waiting to, to, to hear thankfulness. Maybe it will come. Thankfulness? Yes. For what? For uh, whatever I think it is worth to be thankful for. Uh, yes, so that would be a, that would be a possible way to try to work with this. But in this kind of experience, there's no way that you can connect with thankfulness. That's a problem. Huh. No, like a people, uh, someone who is in the dark night of the soul to tell that person, you know, you have water, you have shelter, you have a precious human life, you have the teachings. Be thankful. <laughs> That makes it worse, because you're saying first, your experience is wrong, you shouldn't feel like that, and I also have a problem that you feel like that, and you should feel thankful. So then that person who is hit by that stupid advice, not only, can, not only it helps, it makes it worse, because on top of all of this, this person now feels, oh, I'm such a failure, I can't even be thankful. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's kind. That's very kind. It's the most kind thing to be loyal and to honor the experience of another person. This is how you feel. Okay, I'm here. I'm here with you. You're not alone. And I will stay here with you as long as it takes. In, in that moment, if you get this offer, you will feel a shift. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what I needed to hear. I'm very thankful for it. Exactly. I would say that. <laughs> in that moment, exactly, in that moment, the person, yeah, thank you so much. And then, that what you actually wanted. I mean, it's, it can be also an invitation to, to say, you know, there's things you can be thankful about. I see the goodness in your suggestion. Uh, and sometimes I guess it helps, yeah? because sometimes f people can shift a bit into that direction. Uh, but you could also right now feel and understand what I meant with yeah, yeah. giving the space and then letting thank thankfulness arise as a genuine experience instead of something which you have to feel or something you try to force yourself to feel. <laughs>
But my brain, or in our society, it is like that. You just come up with suggestions. Yeah. This is a very bad habit. And it's it's very difficult to relax that. I'm still, I'm working on it almost in every session I have with people. Oh, here it is, my my clever advice. Mm -hmm. Let it go. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, this is how you can fix it. Let it go. This is, yeah. this, this is the reason we don't tell each other how we feel when we say, ah, how is it? Everything? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. I don't need any advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so last thing and then we have a break. Yeah, I just wanted to say regarding the symptoms and psychiatric diagnoses, uh, when, when psychiatrists and psychologists put a diagnosis in Sweden, they only look to the symptoms and mm. suffering and debilitation they bring. Uh, the cause of it is not a, for most diagnosis, it, it doesn't matter whether your depression is. Yes, but they have a biological system also. For them it is a, like for them a depression is a kind of brain disorder or something like that. Yes, uh, sometimes, so, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to dismiss th- this model. Mm. Yeah, but I, I feel that some people can benefit <coughs> from starting to uh, reframe your exp- the experience they have and give, give it some meaning, give it some purpose, give it some, uh, some, something almost kind of be grateful about. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a problem. Yeah. They don't look yes, yes. the causes. Yeah, yes. They just look yeah. how it it's good that no... People. Is there psychiatrist here? Almost a psychologist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they, but but then but you, you 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 think a di- little different. Mm-hmm. You don't have only a biological view. Yeah, so uh, because that's that's very uh, that's the, that's the paradigm in, in Western psychiatry is the biological view. So how to how to respond to experiences like that is to fix the biology. To fix something in the brain. Mm. 